0: Locked On Podcast Network and Odyssey present Locked On Today.
1: Are the Miami Heat in danger of falling from the finals to the play-in game? Has the window closed on the Chicago Cubs? Plus, what game changers are left for NFL teams to grab? I'm Peter Bukowski, starting your day with the stories you need to know and the biggest debates in sports. You're Locked On Today.
0: Searching all major sports. Let's start with the biggest story.
1: In a matchup of two teams cantilevered on the edge of the play-in, the Dallas Mavericks beat the Miami Heat 127-113 on Tuesday night. Joining me now from Locked On Heat, David Ramil and David, the Heat are, are facing right now the prospect of going from the finals to having to play their way into the postseason this year. What separates Miami from becoming that dangerous team we saw in the playoffs last year and just the the sort of also-ran fodder that
2: a normal seven or eight seed is in the postseason? I think it's Jimmy Butler, who was missing in tonight's game against Dallas, and you could see his absence was felt pretty sharply there. I, I, I've kind of gotten to this point where I kind of talk about him all the time on the podcast because I, I try to give Heat fans hope that as long as you have Jimmy on this team, and maybe it's a short you know, a sample size based on what he did last season. But my feeling is that he's always going to be able to exert control over an individual game, and that translates over the course of a series as well. So as long as you have Jimmy Butler capable of playing as well as he has been, I think that sways things in Miami's favor. The fact that he can lock up your best score or at least hinder your best score somewhat, that he can slow down the pace of the game by getting to the line, something that wasn't there when Dallas was making their runs on Tuesday. Jimmy all of a sudden can draw – Four fouls in a row and send your best player, you know, an opponent's best player to the bench with foul trouble. And he can also do some scoring things as well. You know, not a great shooter from the perimeter, but able to work his mid-range game. He's got a good low post move, too, and he, he makes plays for others. So he just brings the best out of everybody. So as long as you have Jimmy on this team, I think you're still a danger no matter what seating you actually eventually wind up grabbing.
1: Yeah, six guys in this game for the Heat scored double digits, but no one went over 20. When you when you you incorporate Jimmy Butler into this group, how, how much do you think he can elevate some of these role players? Because we haven't seen, you know, someone like Tyler Hero, who also didn't play, right. um, you know, elevate his game the way we thought he could based on what we saw in the bubble. Bam out of IO. I don't know. Has he proven that, that he can't be that guy that that scorer that that the Heat could use in a moment like this?
2: It's always been something uh, that has been a problem for Bam because his natural tendency is to be a playmaker, and it's the strength of Miami's offense is when he's setting those screens for Duncan Robinson or he's working the dribble handoff or he's trying to get somebody like Kendrick Nunn or even a Trevor Ariza going – it's at a sacrifice of his own offense and he's not looking to initiate. And then on a night like tonight when he's needed because Jimmy's not out there, he winds up struggling from the floor going just four of 10. And I don't think it was anything that Willie Colley Stein or, or Dwight Powell did to impact what Bam was able to do. He missed some pretty good looks, but he's just not, A natural scorer at this point. We've seen glimpses over the course of the season, not enough to appease Heat fans, and so it's a concern whether or not he's capable of doing this at the right moments. We know he's capable, period. It just doesn't seem to always be as engaged as you'd like him to be.
1: Locked On Today is brought to you in partnership with Odyssey. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y. Your new home for music, news, sports, and podcasts. Download the Odyssey app today. Coming up, has the window closed on the Chicago Cubs, that's next.
0: Now, here's what you need to be locked on today.
1: It was a rough and complicated day for the Denver Broncos.
3: The Denver Broncos will have to take a look at the offensive line and some of their other options at the tackle position after one key player suffered a season-ending injury. I'm Cody Rourke, host of Lockdown Broncos. Ladies and gentlemen, the Broncos' offensive line situation was looking really nice. Juwan James, who opted out of the 2020 NFL season due to COVID, was expected back with the organization and was expected to start in 2021, according to Broncos' GM George Payton but he suffered a season-ending Achilles injury while working out away from the team facility. His $10 million guaranteed contract is now potentially in jeopardy due to him working away from the team facility and suffering this injury as ESPN's Adam Schefter first reported. What does this mean for the Denver Broncos? Which players could they expect to step up at right tackle just a couple of months away
1: from training camp? Hey, but guess what? They might have Aaron Rodgers soon, so who knows? The Utah Jazz took over the top spot in the West on Monday night. On Tuesday, the Suns took it back. We've seen the Suns win every which way this season,
0: and tonight was a new one. Uh, 134-118 is the final score, but it took till overtime against the Cleveland Cavaliers to do it. Uh, 20-4 in overtime, so that's the good news. The bad news is the Suns should not be messing around with these games. They have a back-to-back tomorrow night in Atlanta a much more difficult game, theoretically, than Cleveland should have been, but a win's a win. The Suns continue as the number one overall seed in the NBA. They take care of business when they need to. Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, and then Mikhail Bridges, really the star of overtime. Bridges and Ayton combined for eight blocks, not really the guys you would expect that from, but I guess you get down into the regular season and these ones start to pile up. The weird ones, the out of character ones, I think Suns fans will take a win. I know I will. We'll see what happens tomorrow.
1: The Bucks are really putting a damper on the Nets' bid for the top spot in the Eastern Conference.
4: What's up, everyone? Kane Pittman here from Locked On Bucks. Milwaukee beat the Nets again for the second time in three nights, 124 to 118, and kind of in similar fashion to the game two days ago, the Bucks fell behind by six points early in the fourth quarter, and they were able to come back. And the thing that you love about this game is that it wasn't necessarily behind Giannis. Chris Milton was struggling all night, but he really got it going in the fourth quarter not from the outside, he put the ball on the floor and got to the basket many times while he was guarded by Kevin Durant. So you get 36 from Giannis, but you get 23 from Chris, 23 from Drew. Heading into the playoffs, this is a pleasing performance for Milwaukee, there's no doubt about that. And being able to beat a team with the quality of the Brooklyn Nets without Giannis taking over, again, I think that's a big deal for this team. Once again, no James Harden, that's clearly significant for Brooklyn, but this is a potential second round matchup, so the Bucks will be happy with this,
1: Is anyone going to say no to seven games of KD versus Giannis after these last couple games? I don't think so. The New Orleans Pelicans are hanging on to hope of making it into the play-in, and Tuesday night, they took a little step closer. Pelicans
5: beat the Warriors 108-103 and have a heartbeat for the play-in tournament. I'm Jake Madison of the Locked On Pelicans podcast. You'd think the story would be that the Pelicans are essentially just three games back of the Spurs for the 10th seed, and San Antonio has the toughest remaining schedule. So you're saying there's a chance. But looking at the big picture with this team, getting a win on the second night of a back-to-back against a team that you're chasing, where was this Pelicans team on Monday? It's great they respond to the punch the face, but how about you avoid getting punched in the face to start? The Pelicans came out with energy and effort and tried hard to win this game. Guys other than Zion stepped up, but why did it take a loss to get them to wake up for this one? It's like a guy who cheats on his girlfriend and then when the opportunity to cheat on her again arises and he doesn't and tells you what a wonderful boyfriend he is. That's not how it works. You don't get bonus points for not cheating. That's just the expectations. Should we give the Pelicans a lot of credit for not doing wrong things, very simple things and coming out with a smart game plan against Steph Curry? Probably not, you know, maybe a little bit. And it's what makes this team so frustrating, even as they have a decent shot of getting
1: into the kind of postseason. And speaking of, is anyone saying no? Is anyone saying no to Zion in the playoffs? Definitely not. That's what happened last night. Here's what to look for today on betonline.ag. The New York Knicks look to cement their spot as the four seed in the east while the Denver Nuggets are fighting over the third seed in the west. The betonline.ag line for this game is Denver giving three. The Atlanta Hawks are trying to stay ahead of the Heat and the Celtics in the East. The team standing in their way, the NBA's best record and top seed in the West, the Phoenix Suns. The BetOnline.ag line for this game is Phoenix giving two and a half. To check out the full list, head to BetOnline.ag where you can bet the NBA, NHL, MLB, plus NFL futures. You name it, they have it. Sign up today for a free account at BetOnline.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDON On. For 50% welcome bonus. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts.
0: Here is another story you need to know.
1: Despite the Cubs beating the Dodgers in both games yesterday and moving into a tie for third in the NL Central, the team is far from the exciting World Series run in 2016 with young talent and a progressive front office. Joining me now, Sean Sears from Locked On Cubs. And Sean, how did we get to this point with a Cubs team that seemed to have so much promise
3: it's just a lot of regression with some of these guys the Cubs leaned on heavily um in the 2016 run but more as reserve roles guys like Albert Almora Addison Russell those type of guys just didn't develop the way the Cubs were hoping on top of that they haven't spent a lot of money so they've just been kind of pigeonholed a little bit these last few years hoping for more production out of their top talent. And because of that, they haven't paid these guys. So you're coming into a season where Chris Bryant's having a fantastic year, but you're kind of wondering if the Cubs can't figure things out. Is he a trade asset? So it's hard to get a vibe or a feel on this team for this season, just because the Cubs haven't really picked a direction since 2018. And now they're kind of seeing the repercussions of that.
1: What is the right direction given what we've seen from this team, not just this year, but, but I think going back to last year as well.
3: I think the Cubs need to resign some of these guys. It's hard to say the Cubs are better without Anthony DeRizzo, Chris Bryant, and Javier Baez next year. Wilson Contreras following the year after. They have to pick some of these guys. I think Chris Bryant and Anthony DeRizzo are the two clear guys that should be a part of this franchise that help you not only maybe, maybe take a step back for another year or two, but start to usher some of the top talent getting ready to come in, as well as spending some money. The Cubs should be able to do that soon. So there's pieces here you want to keep, but you just have to figure out who you want to keep and then pick that direction.
1: If things don't get better here, how do you balance that? Hey, we want to keep these guys. And also it might be time to sell off some of these pieces to get future parts.
3: That's kind of the fence Jed Hoyer has been riding since he took over with from Theo Epstein. He hasn't really picked that direction. He's kind of riding that line between rebuilding, retooling, going for it, not going for it. I think we're going to see here this next month of baseball, if the Cubs can't pull themselves in the right direction, um, you might start to see the Cubs have to make serious kind of, you know, decisions like, do you trade a Chris Bryant at the deadline to get assets back? Do you finally get that value you've been waiting so long for him? Or do you keep him and hope that this is Chris Bryant for the next, you know, five, six, seven years of his career? I think those are kind of the decisions that start to get made as the Cubs kind of hope that they can at least push themselves into competition here in the NL Central.
1: How much of what we've seen over the last few years makes this seem like maybe Theo Epstein was a bigger part of the success that the Cubs had than than maybe we even realized at the time? And and that is including the fact that we thought he did a great job, that he had a huge hand in that Cubs team.
3: Right, exactly. I think it's it's uh it, it shows just how tough some of these decisions are for executives. You know, Theo Epstein is could to forever be seen as probably one of the most impressive, you know, infamous executives in baseball history, not just, you know, for the Cubs, but um You know, you you look at this team, and you you really start to have to figure out who are these guys you're keeping. Jed Hoyer was a big part of finding these guys. It hasn't really changed much, but Jed's going to finally get to put his stamp on this team, and I think he's excited to do that. He's just taking his time evaluating because he's invested in this group just as much as Epstein has, too. So it's kind of that weird nostalgia pull that the Cubs have been dealing with, but I I think these decisions are going to start to be made for themselves if the Cubs don't start picking directions soon.
1: What game changers are left for NFL teams to grab? Our cue of the day is next. Today's episode is brought to you by Bilt Bar, the best tasting protein bar ever. I had one today, the raspberry cheesecake, and I was dubious. I don't necessarily like fruit with chocolate, and generally speaking, fruit bars taste gross to me. This, you guys, I'm telling you, is Delicious. Every bar that they make seems to be better than the last one. They bring unique and delicious flavors, salted caramel, peanut butter, brownie, mint brownie, coconut, almond, and all of them are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft. They're easy to chew. And even though they taste like candy, they're actually low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-fiber. Go to BillBar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your first order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off. At BuiltBar.com.
0: Agree or disagree? This is the Q of the day.
1: The Las Vegas Raiders signed veteran corner Casey Hayward this week, and there are still some big names left on the market. Guys like Richard Sherman, Melvin Ingram, Le'Veon Bell. Joining me now from Locked On Raiders, your boy Q. And Q, how does, let's start with the Raiders. How does Casey Hayward affect how you view the Raiders as a playoff team?
6: Well, you know, I think it's a good addition because Gus Bradley is the new defensive coordinator in Vegas. And, of course, uh, Casey Hayward played for Bradley in in, uh, L.A. with the Chargers. And so I think that that makes sense. If you're bringing in a new defensive coordinator, he's bringing in a new scheme, and you have a very young defense. So I think Casey Hayward is a guy that can kind of help them, you know, get get all lined up, do what they're supposed to be doing, kind of have that familiarity with Gus Bradley. I think that's really the biggest thing. Plus, he's a veteran corner, so it's not like he's going to need a lot of teaching. He's going to know what to do. Now, he dipped a little bit in 2020. His, his play was down a little bit, but he's still um, a reasonable age, you know, 32 years old, uh, fairly healthy. So he's not like he's, you know, I think it's a better signing than Richard Sherman would have been because Sherman has been banged up quite a bit the last couple of years. So I think Casey Hayward gives them a chance where they don't have to force a young dude out there on the field.
1: Are there some names and some teams where you go, hey, if this team signs player X, even though they're not maybe what they once were, that might make me think a little bit differently about their chances in, in the playoffs or as a contender in the conference.
6: Well, you know, I'm I'm very interested. I mentioned Richard Sherman before. I'm re- really interested to see where he goes. I know before the draft, he was talking about the Raiders, the 49ers, Seattle. I think, honestly, that'd be the best fit for him. Go back to Seattle. Mm-hmm. Get reunited with Pete Carroll and company and go out there and be that guy. Kind of finish up his career. I think he said he wants to play two more years. I think that'd be a good fit. You know, he's, he's that guy. He has that veteran leadership. He's that alpha dog. You know, he's a smart guy. He's not as... Uh, not, not as like athletic as he was when he first came into the league obviously but still smart enough to get the job done I think he's a difference maker uh Sheldon Richardson is a is a you know defensive tackle in a class that was very thin at defensive tackle for the draft so I don't know what team he would fit well in but any any team that needs a little bit of inside pressure and honestly I was shocked when Cleveland when Cleveland let him go I was shocked he might end up back in Cleveland if that happens at a lower rate You better watch out for that defensive line. Yeah,
1: that defensive line is already loaded. The other name that is interesting to me is Melvin Ingram, and I know he's had some issues staying on the field, but we aren't that far removed, Mm -hmm. Q, from him and, and Joey Bosa just wrecking offensive lines. Do you think he is someone who could be worth a flyer for one of these contending teams like Baltimore, for example, who's just like, hey, if we get... 2018 Melvin Ingram like we're a Super Bowl team
6: right well and the thing about it is I think the 49ers showed everybody in the league when they went to the Super Bowl against Kansas City the better rotation you have on that defensive line the better right I mean you don't have to have him for the whole game you don't have to have him be your three down guy he could be a guy that you have come in and situational uh, you know situational pass rush and get after the quarterback. That's what he does, pin his ears back and go. And I know this isn't a Raiders segment, but honestly, I wouldn't be shocked to see the Raiders go and make that move. For everything I said about Casey Hayward, I wouldn't be surprised that they still have an interest in Melvin Ingram because of Gus Bradley. I know that there's a little interest there. Uh, I think the Cowboys are interested in him as well. Uh, There's a few teams that could use it. And and again, Peter, we know there's never enough pass rushers. You never have enough pass rushers. So if you can get to the quarterback, if you can get him down four or five times a season, you're worth something to a team and especially to a contender because they're going to need that extra pass rush in the fourth quarter, late in the season, you know, a cold game, all the all the marbles on the line. You got to get to the quarterback and sack him. That's a, a Melvin Ingram, a Justin Houston. Those guys can do that.
1: And finally, Seattle Seahawks receiver DK Metcalf is competing in the USA Track and Field Golden Games and Distance Open which is Sunday in Walnut, California. The website lists Metcalf among the participants in the 100-meter dash. In addition to starring in football and basketball at Oxford High School in Mississippi, the six-foot-four, 229-pound Metcalf was a standout hurdler and long jumper. In 2019, at the scouting combine, he ran a 4.33-second 40-yard dash and reached a top speed of 22.6 miles per hour when he chased down Buddha Baker last October, according to NFL Next Gen Stats. At the time, that was the second fastest speed any NFL player had reached in pursuit in 2020. He's not just fast, he is crazy fast. Now, is he all-world fast? I guess we're going to find out. Now that you've got the news, go make some money. Listen to Locked on Bets, download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You'll get to catch up with your boy Q on Locked On Bets. Coming up Thursday, we are less than two weeks away from the start of the NBA playoffs and so much is still undecided. We will break it all down for you. So at least until tomorrow, stay locked on today.